0: I'm going to be reading Mark 14:22 to 26, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, "Take this is my body." And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, "This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they heard, the, and when they had sung us a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word.
1: I have a a grandmother who I was very close with, really helped raise me, very inspirational in raising me, and I thought of her as a a second mother, really. And she ended up getting sick, and she passed away of of cancer when I was young, And, and I miss her. But one of the things that we all know about in our family is, well known, that my grandma was a cook. She spent most of her time in the kitchen, and she prepared wonderful meals. And so now what I have is a recipe book, a cookbook, from my grandmother. And when I am missing my grandmother, one of the things I like to do is cook one of her recipes. And it's incredible how smells and tastes can bring you right back I mean, forever, if I hear a mechanical knife hitting a glass cutting board, I am transported back to a green shag carpet with wood paneling, much like this, in my, grand, in my grandparents' living room. It's just incredible how we have those things. We all know those things. We all have that. You hit a smell, and it just brings you back somewhere. And this is kind of what was instituted with Israel. Uh, and what Israel used to practice, this is kind of the idea of the Passover dinner. They would come together and they would eat certain things and they would pronounce certain things and each one of these things represented something. Now, they were looking at, they were trying to remember, not their grandmother, but their ancestors uh, in Israel, particularly those that were uh, under enslavement. And they remembered the the, the difficulty and the poverty and the enslavement of their ancestors, and they also remembered what God did for them to redeem them from that slavery, and the provisions, and the miracles that took place. And so they would come together, and, and, and we saw last week that they're all lounging around a table. It was a very intimate time, very intimate setting. But the head of the house, the head, the lead would then move his posture from lounging to upright. And he would go through all of the elements and he would explain. He would hold up the bread and he would say, This is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is in needy come and eat the Passover meal. And so he would do this with each element. He would explain each element. If you remember last week, they were dipping the bread, the unleavened bread, into a dish. And sometimes you might think, oh, it might be like a dill dip or something. But it wasn't. It was a dish that was purposely made to taste bitter. It, it It was not a good tasting thing to dip your bread and eat. And the bitter herbs served to recall the bitterness of slavery. So they would eat that They would taste that bitterness, and they would remember their their ancestors in slavery. Uh, They would have stewed fruit, which possessed the consistency and color of clay. And this evoked the making of bricks, their ancestors making the bricks as slaves. The, The land provided was a reminder of God's gracious passing over of Israel in the plague of death that came to Egypt. And so they would have all of these elements and they would be explained through each before they took each element. So that, that's what they're doing now. That's why they're gathered here now. They're gathered to eat the Passover. But we know that this goes from the Passover meal to the Lord's Supper, right? That, that God changes it. There's some things that we that we need to know about this supper. That this is an important supper. This isn't just... An observation we do willy nilly. This is something that Jesus Christ made sure that He gave us. He made sure that, that Judas did not turn Him in until He gave this dinner. It was extremely important that He do this. This is something that this is a, a, a replacement dinner, it replaces the Passover meal, which had been practiced for over 1500 years. But no longer are we to practice the Passover meal. We are to practice the Lord's Supper. And it represents a new covenant, a new time, a new era. And it was an exclusive supper. Only those who truly believe are able to partake in this supper. And if you remember, Judas is excused from the Twelve. Go then, friend, and do what you must. Do what you must do. Why is that happening? It's your fault. What would you do? <clears throat> um, so we have here, we have a, a picture of Jesus not reclined with the twelve, but reclined with the eleven. The eleven who truly believe. And Jesus combines word and symbol to maximize the communication of the most important truth for man in the universe. So this is a wonderful time for us to take a little bit more time than we usually do on a Sunday. First Sunday, we we observe this meal, um, but it's usually after the sermon, and and there's not a lot of time to, to discuss it. So this is a wonderful time for us to look at this passage, dive in a little bit deeper, and remind ourselves exactly what's taking place here. It says in verse 22, And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, And gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. So the Passover bread represents poverty and slavery. It was called the bread of affliction. And Jesus says that now this this bread of affliction, this bread which represents poverty and slavery, now represents my body. And, and the, the term there used for my body really means his whole person and his whole being. Everything that I am. This bread of affliction, this bread of poverty and slavery represents. And, and we got to think through that because Jesus Christ was not impoverished. He did not experience spiritual poverty like we do. He was not enslaved to sin. In fact, he walked in sinless. And He didn't deserve affliction. But we do. We're spiritually poor. Amen? We were slaves to sin. And so therefore we stand righteous that we would receive the wrath of God. Amen? And what Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm taking that and I'm making my whole being that. What belongs to us, he took for us. And all of this is symbolic. There's four things that he does with this bread. First, he takes the bread, and he blesses the bread, and he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread with a command. So he takes the bread. We talked a little bit about this last week. This is a symbolizing. We would see him, and he would hold the bread up, and the bread was in his hand. His body and his life are in his hand. It symbolizes that his death was a voluntary act. His destiny was in his own hands. He wasn't dragged to the cross. He wasn't captured and driven to the cross. He walked to the cross voluntarily out of great love. It's such an important reminder because so many think that he was captured And he made a mistake somewhere along the way. That there was nothing he could do about it. But no, the bread is in his hand. And then he blesses blesses the bread, so he's holding up the bread, and he probably said something like this. Praise be thou, O Lord, sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And all the people would say, Amen. And then he breaks the bread. And this is unleavened bread, so it's more of a cracker quality than it is a bread quality. And so when he breaks it, it would have shattered into pieces. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, knowing that this is the representation of Jesus' bread, we should look at that this morning when we do it, we should look at that wafer, and we should think of the cracks of the whip. We should think of every wound and bruise every tear into his flesh, that it was done for me. It was done for you. This is the whole idea. He's breaking, he's taking his own body, voluntarily breaking it. When we take that wafer, we should think of Isaiah 53. But he was, the, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. He is wounded, so we would be healed. And then He gives the bread, right? This is what He does. He offers His body for us to receive. And we can deny that, or we can receive it. But if we're to receive it, there's a command. It isn't just a mental knowledge or understanding. That I'm telling you, there are so many people now who don't disagree with the Bible. Who aren't going to heaven. There's so much more going on here than being cool with what Jesus did. Being okay with it. The command is this, if you're going to receive me, if this is going to be unto you, you must take and eat my body. You must ingest it. This must be the nourishment. We must receive His body, partake in His suffering, consume it, absorb it, assimilate it, assimilate Christ into our lives. We must allow Christ to become the very nourishment, the very energy of our being. John 6 says this. "This This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And so we see that Jesus Christ in the gospel, his death on the cross, should be our nourishment. When we hunger and pain and ache, when we long to grow spiritually, when we're hung up in sin, the answer isn't to try harder, but to turn to the cross, to remember, to drink in and eat of what Christ has done for us. That should be our nourishment. And then in verse 23, similarly, he takes the cup, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they took and drank of it. So in a similar way, he takes the cup again. The cup is in his hand. His body, his cup is in his hand. The the cup represents, or really the wine in the cup represents the life of Christ. In John 10, it says this, For this reason... The Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So he is holding the cup. Amen? Then he blesses the cup. He probably said something like this. May the All-Merciful One make us worthy of the days of the Messiah and of the life of the world to come. He brings salvation of His King. He shows covenant faithfulness to His anointed, to David and to His seed forever. He makes peace in His heavenly places. May He secure a peace for us all over Israel. And you say, Amen. And he gives the cup. At this time we realize that he's given the cup to 11. He had 12. One had already fallen away. And the 11 are about to fail him greatly. We sometimes think of the disciples, even as I'm looking at pictures, lots of pictures of the Lord's Supper, And all the disciples have these halos around their head, this yellow glowing like they're... These guys are morons. (laughs) They're they're rough and tumble. He calls a couple of them sons of thunder. They're ready to fight anything that moves. One's a zealot. Violence would have been a part of his past, no doubt. Um, They don't get it most of the time. And we're about to see they still don't get it all the way, even after all of this. And this is the table that Jesus prepares for them. And we see that this is not a table of merit. It's a table of mercy. Great mercy. He says in 24, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So the wine used to represent the blood of the old covenant. But Jesus says now it represents my blood. And my blood is the blood of the new covenant. A covenant is an arrangement that shall not be broken by either party. So, I mean, I think we all know what it, what it is, but let me just to remind us it'd be like a, buying an automobile. You buy an automobile, you sign, you use ink to sign a signature to say that you are signing a contract. You're going to pay on this automobile. You're, make, you're saying, I'm going to pay whatever I, we agreed on for as long as we've agreed on it. And as long as I make these payments, as long as I do this thing, you will not come and take this automobile from me. I can keep the automobile. If I, if I fail to do that, then you can come and take. So that's, that's a, that would be like a, a covenant in, in a sort of way. The old covenant was this, Obey and keep the law. And in return, he protected and blessed them. And they signed, we, we, we would sign a covenant in ink, but they signed it with blood. So they actually would take and slaughter an animal, and that was their symbol, that that was sealed. That sealed that covenant. But Israel couldn't keep those payments, right? They couldn't make the monthly payments. They continued to transgress against the law. They continued to sin. And so by blood, they covered those sins. They would continually sacrifice animals. Constantly sacrificing animals. As you read of the Old Testament history in Israel, we've got to be grateful for this new covenant, just for the fact that there's not all this blood going around. Blood being sprinkled everywhere on the altar. Lots of sacrifice. Because of the sinfulness of man, they could not keep it up. The new covenant is this. It's not sealed by animals' blood, but it's sealed by the blood of Christ himself. And here's the good news. It's sealed once and for all. It is finished. It is sealed. Hebrews 10 tells us, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he then sat down at the right hand of God, signifying, I'm done. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering, he has perfected you and I in this new covenant. The new covenant doesn't have anything to do with works or merit or upkeep. It is simply this. Believe in the life that was lived sinlessly, the death, the sacrifice on our behalf, and the resurrection, the victory over sin and death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen? Because in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, That God raised him from the dead, you have been saved. So, all there is for us to do is drink this in, eat on this, allow this to be our nourishment for every day moving forward. And then he gives two promises. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in heaven. And this launched them into singing a hymn. They probably sang Psalm 118, by the way. And you would do yourself a favor if you went home today and read Psalm 118 with this in mind. It's, it's incredible. It's a long psalm. Um, so I wasn't able to, to bring it into the sermon, but you would do yourself a favor to read that with this in mind. So he gives two promises. Of, first, this is the last Passover. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine. I'm not going to drink this wine again. He, he is on his way to seal the covenant. Remember, when he's giving this to them, it's a prediction. It's a, it's a prophecy. For us, we're looking back on it. But he gets up and they sing a hymn, he goes to the Mount of Olives, he is going to sign this covenant that he's talking about here with his very life. So he says, this is the last Passover for me. There won't be another one. I am going to die. But then he gives this other promise. It's this, but I'll be back. But I'll be back. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to return. Jesus promised a day when all genuine believers, all those who partake in the Lord's Supper at this table, real believers, would sit down with him in the kingdom. Can you imagine this morning as we're taking this, where we're remembering Jesus? It's just like when someday, I know because my grandma was a a believer, that someday uh, I'm going to be with her again. And how much more glorious are we talking about that someday we're not going to take the Lord's Supper to remember the Lord. We're going to take the Lord's Supper with the Lord. How incredibly awesome is that? That's a part of this whole thing, is that not only does take it to remember what he did, but to look forward. We do this until he comes, professing that he will return. And when he does... It's the promise of perfection of, of a living forever in the new heavens and the new earth of sitting with Christ in the glorious kingdom man there's so much to leave us wanting here on earth is there not? I mean people are starving starving so they're this season they're buying more presents than they should using credit cards to try to feed them feed them satisfy this hunger somebody now with parents who love them dearly are buying a bag of heroin to stick into their body and the reason is because they're starving they're starving there are people now who are thinking about committing suicide because they think that they've searched the whole earth and found nothing here to satisfy their hunger. And there are people doing things to lesser degrees, but all ache and yearn to be full. And this morning, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, we partake in the bread of life. The true fulfillment... The thing that will nourish us completely and whole. John 6 says, I am the bread of the life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So as we engage in the Lord's Supper this morning, Let's remember that we are to receive and to partake and to consume and absorb, assimilate Christ into our lives. That we should be full and satisfied in the, his death, his life, death, and resurrection. That he is our nourishment. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for giving us this way of remembering you. Not remembering you like we forgot you, but to remember you, to take a time out, to really place ourselves there, to to experience anew what it is you did, the great cost of my sin, the tremendous depth of your love. As long as I ponder it, as much as I study it, it still remains such a mystery such a mystery, that you would do this for us. We praise you and we thank you. We pray a blessing this morning as we're beginning to be prepared to partake in the supper that you have given us, that we thank you so very much for. In Jesus' name, amen.